You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 139 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, considering that this is our So You Want to Be a Writer Christmas party, yes. you can probably Woo-hoo. imagine that I'm hanging from the chandelier with a glass of champagne in my hand. That's right, except Maybe. that we're except not that in I'm- the same room. I know, and I'm actually not doing that at all. What I am doing is hiding from my children. <laughs> oh, my goodness, because you don't so, want them to see the champagne? Or no, because I, I, otherwise they would be shouting at me and then it would it would ruin our sound. But I remember, I can't remember when it was, if it was last year or the year before, but we, we recorded a podcast and it was late at night and everyone was asleep. And yes. it was like, I, was, I think I said to you, I feel like I'm Harry Potter, you know, like, broadcasting from under the stairs um, because I was having to be so quiet. Well, I kind of feel a bit like that. I feel like I'm under the stairs again. (laughs) No, don't be under the stairs. It's Christmas time. You need to like, you know, know. whoop it up. Whoop it up, baby. I'm whooping it up. Yes. It is our final episode for 2016 before we have a just a very, very short little Christmas break over the Mm. holidays, over the summer where we will be – not podcasting, only for a short length of time. What will you be doing over the break, Al? Uh, swimming and eating prawns, hopefully. Um, I will What's be... this thing with the prawns? I mean, it just hurts so much to peel. Oh, uh, yeah, but they're kind of worth it, particularly if you've got a, like a good lime dipping sauce or something to plonk them in. And No, I just, um, they just kind of, they're quite summery. They feel like summer to me. I feel like once you're eating prawns and, you know, swimming, you're, you're there, yes. you've reached summer. So I'll be doing a bit of that and uh, I'm going to my sister's house for Christmas Day, which is quite exciting because Ooh. a lot of Christmases have been actually at my house over the last few years. So I'm quite thrilled to be going elsewhere for Christmas. Um, yes. I haven't had to think about ordering the ham. I haven't had to, oh, I'm, not gla- yes. I'm not glazing, I'm not baking, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing any of those things, which is, um, is actually, you know, quite exciting. It's quite nice to have a, a year off mm. and I'm really looking forward to see her house. It's just been renovated. So I'm quite excited to get in and have a look at that. And yeah, it's just, you know, we'll just be hanging with the family wearing paper hats, you know, pulling yeah. crackers. Oh, I love doing paper hats. I know those jokes. The boys yes, love those the jokes. jokes. I love the little toys <laughs> that you get. Uh, yes. Christmas is not, not the same I without know. them. And what will you be doing, Val? Where will we be finding you on Christmas Day? (laughs) Well, on Christmas Eve is actually when my family does stuff. So I will be (laughs) at various families' houses on Christmas Eve eating multiple dinners and Mm. no doubt lots of ham. And um, Pardon? I said fab. Oh, fab. <laughs> Fat as well, probably. Is that what you I thought, thought I'd say? I thought you were saying ham. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Um, I love ham. I love the Christmas ham. Yes, it is very nice. I like other stuff better, like yeah. pavlova and 
Yeah. Oh, no. See, I cannot abide pavlova. It makes me so un-Australian, I know, really? and I'm ready for your tweets. I cannot oh. stand it. But do you like, no. um, um, you know, I love Eaton Mess. Uh, yeah, mess? actually, I probably prefer it like that, you know, yes. when it's all smooshed up in a glass yes. with the cream and everything. But, yeah, I just, I'm not, meringue's not my, you know, if I'm going to get fat, I don't want to be doing it with meringue. Really? You know, yeah, it's like getting fat for nothing as far as I I'm concerned. I would do it on Eaton Mess. And I have to say Victorians Aye. do Eaton – well, Melburnians anyway – do Eaton Mess a lot better than people in New South Wales or restaurants in New South Wales. I just thought that's I would a, share that's that. A big, that's a big call, Valerie. <laughs> but it's cool. true. Okay, it true. I'll let it's you have it. <laughs> if you don't make me eat pavlova, you can say whatever you want. Okay. So on Christmas Day, uh, I'm going out for lunch. So, nice. Yeah, it's a, something we started only a few years ago because prior to that it was always home stuff. And mm. for some reason we did it a few years ago and went, oh, my God, what have we been missing out on? This is the way to go. There's no mm. washing, no cooking, no making, mm. no ham, no turkey, no nothing. And somebody else does it and you don't have to clean up. Mm. So I'm – Yes, it's we've been doing that uh, ever since we first started, and, and it's um, very civilized. Uh, yes, love it. All right, but anyway, we're going to talk more about things to do or things that aspiring writers and emerging writers and established writers should be doing over the Christmas break very, very soon. However, I want to give a shout out to Brittany Riley, author. Hmm. So, hi, Brittany. Yes. Hi, Brittany. Brittany Riley, author, has left us a review on iTunes and has said, I listened to my first podcast, which was uh, 133, and I find myself informed, educated, and inspired. I'm a great (laughs) admirer of Veronica Roth's, and I can't thank you enough for bringing a comprehensive and interesting interview to my ears. I'm 22, and my debut YA fantasy novel was self-published in the US this year. Listening to Veronica's rendition of her publishing slash movie deal was amazing and I can't wait until the next podcast to gain more useful writing tips. Thank you, ladies. Mm. Well, thank Thank you, you, Brittany. Brittany. Mm. Yes, that's awesome. That's made my day. It's just um, really appreciate for those of you who take the time to leave us a review or or rating on iTunes. We really appreciate it. And if you do have 30 seconds to do that, we'd It'd be very grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. So let's move on to our discussion for the end of the year. Now, we we are going to take a couple of weeks off, but then we'll be back in the podcast and it will be 2017 by then. So Uh the thing is, this time of year, as you and I well know, is the time that you wind down and, you know, re recharge but also take stock of what have I done and what am I going to do in the new year so we thought we would talk about what you can do over this break to really set yourself up for 2017 as a writer and Alison's going to give us a couple of discussion points and tips on writing fiction and I'm going to spearhead a couple of discussion points on being a freelance you know feature or content writer so why don't we start with fiction hey Al? I had a feeling you were going to say that, Valerie. It's, <laughs> it would be rare for you to say, hey, let me just talk about this. Um, okay, so <laughs> let me just bang on a bit about this for a while. Okay, so I, um, I've i got 
basically two things that I that I like to try to, to do uh, over the sort of break. You know, when you've actually got some time, which is very, very rare for me mm. um, to actually have some time. So I do two things. One of those things is is to think. And I know that sounds like, <laughs> come on, Al, seriously, you haven't thought for 12 months. Um, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> which, you know, we, we could question. This is, um, this is like a serious thinking time. This is kind of concentrated effort on, again, like basically what you said, like, what did I do last year? Mm. What am I doing at the moment? And what is it that I actually want to do this year? Because I think it can be so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, you know, grind and the race and all the deadlines that you have and the different things that you're doing that you lose track of actually, you know, what it is that you're wanting to do. And, um, I think one of the things, it was quite interesting, the interview that we did last week with Rachel Craw, she said a really interesting thing was that one of the things that she set out to achieve when, as a writer was that she wanted to be good more than she wanted to be published and she wanted to be right. published really, really badly. Yeah. So she set out to be good. And I think that the what you can find within that sort of break that you have over Christmas, New Year, however long it may be, even if it's only a few days, is you can find the time to reconnect with that sort of idea because you set out to be a writer because you want to do something worthwhile. You want to write something worthwhile. You want to craft something amazing. And I think that the 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 idea of doing that is sort of different from the idea of just getting published, which of course yes. is, 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 a, is, a, is a, an entirely different goal. So what I like to do over this time is I try to basically reconnect with that notion of of you know what is it that I want to achieve here am I am I am I going about it in the way that I want to go about it is that what I is that what I want to be doing what might I do next to build on all the things that I've done um Mm -hmm. where am I going to take this what do I actually want to do and it's it's that real sense of just getting back in touch with what it is that you're that you're trying to achieve um so that's one thing I do. That thinking time is I set aside some time just to think about things. And I we rarely do that these days. We're so busy yes. pursuing and achieving and all of those sorts of things. Just that idea of, of sitting down to actually meditate on where we are and what we're doing. Um, so that's one thing I do. And then I would recommend that, um, I mean, everyone talks about goal setting and what we're going to achieve and how amazing it's going to be and all that sort of stuff. I, I think that aspiring writers of fiction in particular should just look at setting themselves one goal and that goal is not write a novel. Mm. And it's not too big. Get, too big. And it's not mm-hmm. get published and it's mm-hmm. not, you know, all of those sorts of things. I think it's a it's a matter of doing one of the things, and I know we've all got massive lists of things that we that we intend to do. Um, it's doing one of those things. Just get one of those things ticked off your list for this year, whether it's contact an agent, whether it's submit a chapter to the Friday pitch at Allen and Unwin or to Walker's Mm. Wednesday books or whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's go to a conference, like just choose, you know, a relevant conference in your area, in your, in your sort of um, genre or area of interest, go to a conference, see what other people are doing, whether it's sign up for that course that you've been meaning to do for a year or two, because, you know, that's the kind of thing, oh, I'm totally going to get to that one day. Well, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year that you sign up to do that course on whatever it is, whatever aspect of writing craft or promotion or whatever it is that you want to do. Just choose one of those things and and aim to do that. And yeah. if you find, because what you often find is it once you get the ball rolling with one small thing, that it tends to it does tend to snowball a bit. But I think if you if you sort of set a massive goal for yourself, like write a novel, what you tend mm. to find is that you get to the end of the year and you know 
you've done nothing because it's too big. It's too hard. Yes. Would you also suggest that you have that goal as something that's achievable, say, in the first three months? Yes. That was going to be my next point. I think it should be something that you can do you know, as you say, in the next three months soon, but, but do put a deadline on it because, Mm. uh, you know, as they say, a goal without a deadline is a dream. Um, Mm. and so what we want to do basically here is to just get to, to put some kind of accountability into your goal setting. And I, as I said, I'm not talking about massive things here. I'm talking about something you can sign up for a conference. You can, you know, contact an agent, you can, do those sorts of things. You can sort of do some more networking on Twitter with industry people. It could be something as simple as that. But yeah, yeah set yourself a goal, um, a small goal and put a deadline on it just to give yourself something to work towards. Fantastic. I would probably add to that, set yourself a, a writing related goal, but oh, yes. also set yourself a um, platform building related goal. Good idea because the yeah. two things need to work in tandem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, and fantastic. You, what are your tips, Valerie? All right. So, uh, for freelance feature and content writers, then I would suggest that the holidays or your break, you know, even if it's you don't have a proper break, you might have a slowdown. Uh, although I do realise some people in retail probably don't have a slowdown. No, no. Mm. And our hearts but, go out to you. Yes. But this is a great time of year to read. And I don't actually mean read books. I mean, you can do mm. that too. But I find that there are a lot of people who want to be freelance writers. So they don't necessarily want to write a novel. They want to write articles. They want to write content. They want to be commissioned to write blog posts. They want to do content marketing or whatever. Or they want to write for Good Weekend or Sunday Life. But they don't read enough magazines and or online publications. Mm. So this is actually a perfect time to get that stash of magazines that have been sitting in the corner or that, you know, um, go to the library even and actually read and more importantly – analyze those magazines because Mm. when you do that and we teach you how to analyze it in magazine and newspaper writing stage one the course and when you analyze it that's when you all the things start to click and you go so that's why they do it that way Um, so that's why I need to pitch a story in this fashion so I think that too often especially in today's um, attention deficit uh sort of culture where we're constantly distracted by so many things and clickbait. We don't, we we skim and we don't take the time necessarily to read and appreciate and importantly, analyze things uh, that we would when it, when we're usually having a cup of tea um, on a Sunday afternoon, pouring over the newspapers or magazines. So I encourage you to particularly get the print versions of magazines because it's a different experience mm. and you're less, if you read it in print as opposed to online, not, not that there's anything wrong with reading or writing for things online, but I, if for this exercise, I encourage you to do the print version because if you're reading things online, you will get distracted. You will click on something else. You'll go mm. to Facebook. You'll tweet. You'll, you know, you'll just click on something else. Mm. So take take the time at the beach to buy an actual print magazine or several <laughs> and actually read it mm. um, with that analytical lens. Then, then my next tip, which is very similar to yours about setting one goal, 
uh, I think you need to determine your doable mini goals for freelance writing. And one thing that I suggest that you do, um, you can do what you like, of course, but one of the things that I suggest that you do is determine how many pitches, that's as in P-I-T-C-H-E-S, as in pitches to editors. Um, I say that because sometimes I use speech to text recognition. They always write pictures. As oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how many picture, pictures you're going to do per week? Don't just say, I'm going to start pitching to editors. Actually say, I will pitch three proper pitches to editors per week or whatever number you decide. Um, you know, everyone's different depending on how much time you can devote to it. But um, you know, pick a number and and stick to it. And I think that um, some of the most successful freelance writers who started with nothing, you know, were not writers before, but then they did our course and then they, you know, started getting into freelance writing. One of the reasons they're successful is that they actually put a number on the on the number of pitches they were going to pitch to editors each week, mm. and they stuck to it. So mm. yes, that's my. That's my couple of tips for for the summer break. Excellent. Now, we are actually going to have a new initiative. Of course, this podcast is still going to go on next year because, A, we love doing it. It's great fun and we love connecting with our listeners. But we've got a new initiative in addition to what you're used to in the regular programming. But for us to execute it, we are going to need your help. Isn't that right, We are. Yes, we are. We need to hear from you. You. Yes. You. We need to know what's your burning question about writing uh, and you can send that in to us at, pot, uh, at the email address podcast at writerscentre.com.au. Now, it can be any question about writing, whether it's fiction or freelance writing or whatever, memoir, anything, uh, but uh, it's whatever your burning question is that you would like us to answer and we will yep. make sure that we answer it. So email it in to podcast at writerscentre.com.au and, uh, and listen out and stay tuned for the stay uh, tuned. new program. Oh, I love, love a bit of mystery, Val. That's right. <laughs> So, our giveaway this week is part of our 12 Days of Christmas. Well, it's actually 12 Books of Christmas giveaway. Mm, yes. You can enter until the 2nd of January, so there's still time. And um, it includes books such as uh, The Secret Recipe for Second Chances by J.D. Barrett, um, uh, Poor Me by A.A. A. Gill, Breathing Underwater by Sophie Hardcastle, uh, the Media and the Massacre by Sonia Vomard. They are trying to break your heart by David Saville. Oh. Uh, a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms by George R. R. Martin, and a whole bunch of awesome other books. And you could win. So a package of twelve could, books could be winging its way to you in the new year, which will keep you very busy over if you've taking holidays over January. And you can enter at writercenter.com.au/slash win. So if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, there'll be another competition there. But right now you can check it out at writercenter.com.au slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. 
If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in magazine and newspaper writing, Stage 1, is the fastest way to get there. Step-by-step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, how to approach editors, how to research and structure your articles, plus interviewing skills, industry expectations, and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your very own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash magazine. Are you ready for our word of the week, Al? Oh, it's our last one of the year. I'll just have a quick slug of champagne so that I can be ready for it. (laughs) All right. I'm set. Do it. Do it. Bibliopole. So Bibliopole? Yeah, pole. Bibliopole. Ooh. So that's B-I-B-L-I-O, biblio, mm-hmm. and then pole, like P-O-L-E, pole. Mm. So we've all heard of, many of us heard of a bibliophile, where, yeah. which is someone who is someone who um, collects or loves great books. But a bl- bibliopole, it's a bit hard to say, isn't it? A mm. bibliopole is slightly different. Now, this is actually a person who buys and sells books, especially rare ones. There you go. Did you know that? I did not. I did not. Either. I did not know that. And yes. I sort of was when I saw the word there, I was thinking bibliopole. Like it doesn't sound like someone who sells books. It sounds like, no. you know, some kind of large bookend or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> someone who says, buys and sells books. Who, I don't know, biblio vendor, biblio. It's a bit hard to say. But anyway, if you can use the uh, word of the week, we would love to see it out in the wild. Uh, please do ping us on social media so we can see how you've used it in context. Mm. All right. Shall we move on to our writer in residence this Ooh, week? Okay, let's do that. Who is our writer okay. in residence this week, Valerie? Our writer in residence is Mark Tedeschi. Now, oh. Mark Tedeschi is actually a QC and is heavily involved in the legal world in Australia. Mm-hmm. And it has been a barrister and a Crown pos- prosecutor, but has written this book called Murder at Mile Creek. And the subtitle is The Trial That Defined a Nation. Now, Mm -hmm. this is a fascinating book and it gets you in from, you know, the first page. It's actually about the most sensational trial of mass murder in Australia's legal history when 11 convicts and former convicts were put on trial for the murder of 28 Aboriginal men, women and children at Mile Creek. And this is oh. a fascinating look at, uh, at, a, at uh, the justice system and what existed um, at a time that is very different to, to what it's like now. So let's mm. have a listen to Mark Tedeschi. So, Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. That's a pleasure, Valerie. Now, for the readers who haven't got their hands on this book yet, and I highly encourage them to do so, can you tell us what it's about, just your version of what it's about? Well, very basically, Valerie, it's the story of the two trials of 11 men who were charged with 28 murders at a place called Mile Creek Station in northern New South Wales in the New England district in 1838. And the life story of the prosecutor who conducted those two trials, his name was John Hubert Plunkett, and uh, he had an amazing um, 
life in uh, the colony of New South Wales and his trial in 1838 was probably the trial of the century in my view mm. and um, it uh, it was also a most it followed a most tragic and um, um, well a, a really atrocious crime that was committed by 12 men 11 of whom stood trial. Mm. And so how did you get interested into thinking, I might write a book about this? I know that you say you can't remember when you first heard of um, Plunkett, but what made you kind of think, oh, I want to write a book about this? Um, Look, I'd known about the Mile Creek murders for some considerable time, Mm. and when I got hold of the transcript of the two trials, I, I read them with great interest. And, of course, as a prosecutor myself, I couldn't help but put myself into the position of the prosecutor, John Plunkett. Mm. And then I became interested in, in him, and I was I was amazed at what he had achieved for New South Wales in the 20-something years that he was Attorney General. Mm. And I was I was so surprised that is virtually unknown in Australia today. And considering what he did, he really deserves to be amongst the greats of colonial Mm. Australia. Why do you think he was largely unknown, especially when he was involved in so many significant things? Look, I think there are a few reasons for that. Uh, One of them is that he had a rather irascible personality. He didn't have many friends. Um, but he also didn't care what his society thought about him and he didn't care for what history would think about him. Hmm. Um, and he took no steps to perpetuate his memory afterwards. He and his wife had no children, unfortunately. Um, he left very few papers. All he was determined to do was to leave New South Wales in a better state when he finished up in 1856 than when he had arrived in New South Wales in 1832. Mm. So you say that you read the transcripts of the trial and started exploring a little bit further into who is this John Hubert Plunkett. At what point did you actually think, I'm going to write a book? Oh, look, that was some years ago, maybe maybe four years ago, something like that, mm-hmm. that I thought it really would merit a book and it, and he deserved to have a book written about him. There, there are two biographies that have mm. been written about him, but um, they're, they're, well, one of them is not at all accessible. It's a very highly technical document and very difficult to read. And the other one is much better written, but it it hasn't had all that much currency in the general community. And what I wanted to do was write something that's immediately available to the general community, just Mm. to high school students, um, to anybody who's interested in Australian history, um, to try and get the message out there in the community that this is a great man who deserves to be well known. Mm. I'm interested in your research process then. When you decided that you wanted to do that, uh, where in the world did you start your research? Uh, obviously, you already had the trial transcript. What, what did, did you go about it in a systematic way? Did, how did you approach what you needed to research? Oh, look, there's a lot of material available. There, there are 
he was a member of the executive council. That was the advisory body to the governor. Um, there are extensive records of the proceedings of the executive council and and um, uh, select committee reports that they produced, uh, some of which he was responsible for. So it was not difficult to find the official material uh, of, of what he had done. Um, so far as cases that he had conducted, murder trials in the Supreme Court, and of course the Attorney General had as one of his major roles to conduct all those trials in those days, um, those transcripts were pretty readily available through a Macquarie University website that's been set up some years ago with um, all of the court reports for, well, many of the court reports for the old Supreme Court cases from that period. Um, I, of course, uh, used extensively the two books, the two biographies that have already been written about him. Um, there's a lot of source material on conditions in the colony, and I had to really um, learn a lot about what it was like to live in, in New South Wales during those first 50 years of the colony's existence. And, and I, I did learn a tremendous amount that I mm. didn't before. But, um, but when yeah. you have that wealth of material, it's, you know, it can be a little bit daunting. When you actually have so much to choose from, did you approach that in a systematic way? Do you know what I mean? Um, well, I hope so. So that you can pull together in your <laughs> own in your own research. Now, I'm interested. Yes. Uh, a lot of people would be interested to know your approach, not the well, final product in the book, yeah. but how you actually gathered together this wealth of information and put it in some kind of order. Look, uh, I'm probably um, more accustomed to doing that because. Um, when I do trials, I, I, I count the material that I've got to read not in terms of um, folders or in terms of pages, but in terms of how many trolleys it fits on. So I'm used to dealing with really large volumes of material and sorting through it and trying to get to the essence. Yeah. And what, what I really tried to do in, in researching for this book is exactly the same. I sorted through a large amount of material I can read very quickly mm. and tried to get what was the essence, what would be of interest and relevance to ordinary readers. Mm. So that's what I was really focusing on. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of deciding what to leave in and what to take out, was that your benchmark then, what's going to be appealing to an ordinary person? Well, no, not only appealing but meaningful. What's going to be mm. meaningful? So I had to choose which of his other cases to look at because I didn't just look at the Mile Creek Massacre trial in 1838. I looked at uh, probably about half a dozen of the trials that he ran over the years and so I had to choose which ones I thought would be of most interest and significance to ordinary readers. Mm, mm. You write the story... In in most of in most of it, you write the story as if the reader is right there, or as if you are right there. It's very much describing actual scenes, and in some cases, then giving some background information. But obviously, you weren't there. Uh, but this is not fictional; it's real. How did you get yourself to be so present in some of the scenes? Did you have some kind of I don't know technique or way to immerse yourself in that world? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, 
I like writing creative nonfiction, which mm. which means to try and work out um, what the subtext is, what what the people were thinking, what was their motivation for doing the things that they did. And with somebody like John Plunkett, that was easy for me to do because um, as a prosecutor for more than 30 years, uh, I've done numerous murder trials and, and I deliberately tried to place myself into his shoes to try and work out why he did certain important things in the context of um, the Mile Creek Massacre trial and, and the other trials that I discuss. And um, so really it's just kind of inserting my own personality to some degree or my own um, views, my own experience into his shoes. And um, I think in most cases I was able to fairly easily see why he'd done things the way he mm. did. Mm-mm. So was your primary driver when you started thinking, oh, I'm going to write a book, um, largely to highlight this unknown but significant person in Australian history or was it more because of the title of the book to shine a light on a unjust situation and a tragedy? I think it's probably both equally. Um, I describe the Mile Creek Massacre trials because in my view they were more akin to war crimes trials than they were, they are to ordinary murder trials. And I think that at that time there was a war that was going on, a war of attempted annihilation of the indigenous community of, of Australia. Mm. And the massacre occurred in the context of that war. And if, if similar events happen today, it's the, the sort of thing that could end up at the International Criminal Court in The Hague, mm. you know, an attempted genocide mm. and I, I think that until we as a nation recognize um, that war of attempted genocide that was being waged for many many decades in the 1800s um, we're not going to be fully mature as a nation and, and that is I think one very important aspect of, of reconciliation to to acknowledge what happened and to um, to teach um, our students about it. Mm. I'm not suggesting that primary school students have to be told the nitty-gritty of the massacre. Mm. It's, but I think that if you're going to teach topics like the great explorers, you should really be also teaching that following hard on the heels of those great explorers were the white squatters with their cattle and their sheep and they took over vast swathes of very rich, fertile agricultural land on which the indigenous communities had been living for tens of thousands of years. And this was all part of the war of annihilation. Mm. And, and so that the expansion of the colony following the great explorers' discoveries was at the expense of the indigenous communities. And... I don't think that that's really taught at all in schools. Mm, and it- mm. Absolutely. Um, now, you're, you are a busy person. Apart from writing books, you're a QC, you're heavily involved in the legal profession. What proportion of your week is spent in the law and what proportion is spent on writing? 
Oh, look, um, most of the actual writing of my my three books mm. uh, has been done during leave periods that I've taken. Right. Uh, the first one I, I took 10 weeks long service leave and just did nothing but write. Mm. Second and third ones I wrote during Christmas holidays. Really? Um, plus, you know, extended a little bit of an extension afterwards. The vast bulk of the writing was done in that time, but of course then you've got to go over and edit again and again and again. So the, the yes. editing process happened in you know in my spare time when I'm at work. Um, so did, but, did you do your research before you started writing though? Yes. Oh, yes. I, I had all my research material available before I even started writing. Mm-mm-mm. And, I and see. that took time. Yes. So it's you, you took time away from, from, from work. It's not something that you juggled. Uh, well, it is because it's only the intensive part of, of the writing, the, like the first draft that yes. I did during leave periods, the rest of it, the rewriting and the editing and the you know, little bits being added and little bits being subtracted, that took place in my spare time. And, and I, I did that at, at night at home and at the weekends. And um, so that, that was kind of had to fit in with, with my work activities. How long did it take to write the first draft of Murder at Mile Creek? Oh, about 10 weeks. Yeah, right. Wow, okay. And was that – if you can just take me back to those 10 weeks, so that leave period, how did you approach it? Like did you have a routine? Did you think I'm going to write 10,000 – I mean 1,000 words today or I'm going to uh, – did you structure the, the all your chapters, you know, beforehand? How did you actually approach it on a practical level? Well, for, so far as timing is concerned, I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. I, I mean, I actually locked myself away, um, much to the consternation of my wife, who was on mm. holiday at the same time. Um, so I spent, you know, most of my waking hours writing, and I didn't find that hard because I really enjoy writing. I find it almost meditative. I, I just totally lose sight of myself and lose track of time. So I didn't have push myself to do it. I, I enjoyed it very much. Mm. Um, the process, uh, what I find is that I, I try and find a pivotal moment in the story and I like to start my book at that pivotal moment. Mm. And you, you will have seen from reading the book that that pivotal mm. moment in this book, Murder at Mile Creek, is the moment in between the two trials, mm. at the conclusion of the first trial, rather, when Plunkett has to decide whether he's going to put the men up for retrial, mm-hmm. and it's it's a it is a uh, from the point of view of um, morality, from the point of view of what Plunkett was trying to achieve in in colonial society, and from the point of view of the whole story, it is one of the pivotal moments. And mm. once you've decided where that pivotal moment is, then it's it's really easy to write that first chapter to describe the dilemma, the, the essential, central dilemma of the story. And once you've written that, the rest of it flows much more easily, I find, mm. because you can go back and start at the beginning. You then go, I can then go back and describe his history in Ireland, which is essential to an understanding of what he did when he came to New South Wales, mm. 
because uh, he was determined that New South Wales was not going to go down the same track as his native island uh, with all of the discrimination and persecution that had occurred for centuries to um, the Irish people when, when the English were the overlords of Ireland. Um, and it was important to go back and look at his, his family history to understand deeply he felt the discrimination and persecution that had occurred for centuries and then how he came to be in Australia and what it was what conditions were like in New South Wales when he arrived we it was a a society that depended upon slavery mm. I mean we look at our convict era as being a form of slavery but that's precisely what it was and economically the colony of New South Wales could not have survived and prospered for those first 50 years before 1838 without that compulsory, unpaid, forced labour of the convicts. Um, but it was, as opposed to the American system of slavery, it was much more successful because whilst the um, American slaves really had no hope of freedom, and, and if they ever were freed, their, their lives were doomed to poverty and discrimination. Mm. Once the Australian slaves, the convicts, were released at the end of their terms or if they were released early on a ticket of leave, they became full members of society, accepted as full members of society. They were able to own land. In fact, they were given land grants, many of them. They were able to open businesses. They became very, some of them became very prosperous. There was a very ready market for their labor. Um, and whilst, whilst there was some discrimination initially between the free settlers who'd come as free people and the emancipated convicts after they'd been freed, eventually that division died out. So it was very different to slavery in America. Um, and and to, to understand those differences and to, to realise what slavery in New South Wales was like, it's important to know um, what the conditions were like in the 1830s when Plunkett arrived because he was one of those responsible for the abolition of the system of assigning convicts to private landowners. Hmm. He was largely responsible for abolishing the unfettered right of magistrates to order lashings of of convicts. So uh, you you talk. Sorry, no, you go. Please go on. Oh, he was just he. he there's, there's no end to the number of reforms that he introduced. Yeah, it is quite astounding that um, he is not more well known. Now you you talk about writing almost being uh, in a, you kind of go into an almost meditative state. Obviously, it sounds like you really enjoy it. Uh, have you always enjoyed it? Like was writing something that you enjoyed, you know, at school or when you were younger or did you discover it later in life? Um, I think I've always found writing easy. It comes to me naturally. It's my it's – Obviously a natural form of expression as, as opposed to visual expression like photography, which comes to me much harder. I, I'm a keen photographer, but I find it requires a lot more effort to create an, uh, a visual image in photography than it is to write something. Uh, I think as a lawyer, 
um, I mean, words are our tools of trade, so it really helps that that I find it easy to write. But uh, as I've um, got older, it's become uh, more easy. I, I think as a school student, I, I wasn't aware that I had any particular talent as a writer. Um, it's probably only after I left university that that I found that I realised that I enjoyed to write and and that I found it relatively easy. So just take me back to when you first started writing and you thought oh, I'm going to write books now. What made you start writing later? You know when you had you'd already entered the law. Um, look, I, I I didn't write my first book until 2011. Um, you know, maybe maybe 30, 30 something mm. years after I became a lawyer. So what um, made you start? Quite late in life. What what made me start was that I came upon in, in two thousand and five. I came upon this incredible story of a case that occurred in nineteen twenty in Sydney, and it was the case of Eugenia Fellini who was uh, born a woman but had lived as a man for 22 years in Sydney and was married twice during that time and neither wife knew that they were married to anything other than a full-blooded Aussie male by the name of Harry Crawford. 1920, Harry Crawford was exposed as a female called Eugenia Fellini and was charged by the police with the murder of his first wife. And you can imagine the outcry in society to, to, because they had no understanding of transgender issues in those days. Mm. She was treated mercilessly by the media and, and by the public. And uh, she had a, a trial that gripped the whole nation of Australia. Her, her case gripped the nation of Australia for months. And it had largely been forgotten. And I thought what a wonderful story it was and how it, it, how it showed how we've changed our legal system since then. We've changed our views in society, but it also makes you look at your own society today and, and ask yourself, well, in 100 years' time, how are people going to look back at us? What are they going to say about how we didn't have any understanding about something? And I was determined to write a book about Eugenia Fellini. And it wasn't until 2011 that I uh, found the time and, and, and the inclination to write the book, and I had no idea whether I would be able to write a true crime book. And there were a few issues that I really had to grapple with. Like, as a lawyer, you're really kind of totally bound by the, the evidence that you have from witnesses. As a writer, you can infer what you think happened and, and, and be quite quite creative in, in reconstructing events based upon the known facts. And, and um, I had to work out for myself to what degree do I interpret and infer what happened as opposed to being like a, a newspaper reporter who just reports the facts. Yeah, and to grapple with that as a lawyer, and and I also had to grapple with the fact that do I have a duty to my readers to specify every time that I'm inserting what I infer with the facts or what I infer with the thoughts or motives of some of the principal people involved? 
do I have to say every time, well, this is what I think happened, or do I just say um, what, just, just write it down as though it were part of the story? And I had to grapple with, with that aspect of this genre, which is called creative nonfiction. And, and mm. as, as a lawyer, of course, it's, it's totally foreign. Um, and I had no idea whether it would be a popular book. I had no, I, I wanted to write it again so that an ordinary person in the community could understand it and so that high school students could use it for legal studies. Um, so I wrote it at that level and I was really gratified when the book did extremely well and, mm, and it did. was actually used a lot by legal studies students at high school and um, and it was uh, I had I can't tell you the number of ordinary people who who communicated with me wrote to me uh, emailed me uh, to say that they really got a lot out of it and and how much they enjoyed reading it. What do you find most gratifying about writing? Uh, look, it really kind of divides up into a whole lot of sections. The the first part is the research, which I, I enjoy in itself. The second part is the actual writing, which, which I really love doing, uh, particularly the creative parts. I find that the most enjoyable. Then there's the editing. Um, and surprising though it may sound, I, I really enjoy trying to rewrite my sentences so that they are as clear as possible in meaning and as concise as possible. I believe in brevity of expression and conciseness of meaning, so I rewrite my sentences often to try and uh, achieve both those aims. Um, then there's a long waiting period when your publisher gets uh, editors to look through it and you get back proofs which you then have to go through and decide whether you're going to accept or reject the suggestion that's been made by their editor and I have to say that uh, my publishers Simon and Schuster have used excellent editors and I, I've accepted I think over 95% of the suggestions that, that they've made. Mm -hmm. um, and then when the book comes out um, you, you, you've got the book launch, which of course you know is great fun and and and, and really gratifying. But but then I, I I do lots and lots of talks about my books. I might do I don't know thirty forty talks at libraries and bookshops and community groups, rotary groups, historical societies, genealogical groups. Um, I I do you enjoy, enjoy that. Yeah, I really I like doing the talks. Um, it's different to writing. Um, I, I also my my, um, my publishers arrange radio and TV interviews shortly after the book come books have come out. Um, I enjoy that, but it, I mean it's totally different to to writing or or to researching. It's really a, I see it as being an important stage of being an author. So there, there's really the research the writing, the editing, and then the talking about it. Mm. And so uh, what's next for you? Presumably you've already got in your brain what your next project is going to be. Look, I've got a, I've got a couple of ideas actually and I haven't decided between them, 
but I, I will definitely continue writing and uh, I've already arranged to take some time off next year so that I can do it and um, uh, I'll probably decide over the Christmas holidays which one of the so, two that in mind. On, on that point, you, you said you're going to take some time off uh, to pursue those projects. Do you, you – when you just spoke about writing about the um, various kind of stages of it, you spoke with such passion um, about how much you enjoyed it. Do you enjoy the law as much as you enjoy writing? Yes, I, I, I really enjoy my work. I, I think I've got the, probably the best legal job in Australia. Um, I've been a Crown Prosecutor for over 30 years. Um, it's a very varied job, a very challenging job, uh, a fascinating job because you're, you're delving into people's characters and motivation for, for committing serious crime. Um, as Senior Crown Prosecutor, I have responsibility for dis distributing the briefs, so I, one of the benefits of being the Senior Crown, which I've been for nearly 20 years now, is that I get the choice of, of which trials I'm going to run. Mm. Um, and they're mainly murder trials, um, and I, I, I choose challenging ones, ones that I hope will perhaps sometimes establish some, some new law, ones that have uh, significance in the community for differing reasons. Um, and, and sometimes I do just, just fairly straightforward trials in the district court just to, to keep in touch with what my more junior colleagues are doing. And so um, would you ever give it up to write full-time? Look, um, I doubt that I would write full-time because – um, I think that if I did it full time, it would lose some of its shine. I think it's better <laughs> to devote, you know, uh, two months, three months to writing a book and, and do it because I feel passionate about the subject. And I think that if you were doing just that all the time, um, one, I, I don't think I'd be as passionate about it. Sure. And finally, what would your advice be? Because I know that there are people listening who who may be prosecutors themselves or who may, they may be accountants, they may be whatever, you know, in the depths of their profession, quite successful, who've had that inner um, hankering to to do what you've done and actually and write and publish a book. What would your advice be to them? Um. I think it's really important to follow your, your other passions apart from work and you'll be much better at your, your main work if you do follow your other interests. And um, it's sometimes difficult to make time but I think that if you're really disciplined about it and if you're really efficient with your time, uh, it is possible to do. And I, I've, I mean, I've had a passion for photography, I've got a passion for writing, uh, I've had a passion in the past for genealogy. Um, I've done a fair bit of bushwalking, um, and I, I think you, you can do those other things um, as part-time activities in your free time, uh, even with a very demanding, time-consuming job. Obviously, you can't do it all the time, but um, I, I, I think it's really important to maintain that balance and, and you really, that's, that's the best way to avoid burnout. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Mark. Thank you, Valerie.
great interview, Val. Oh, thank you. And I think that we've both, you know, done some great interviews, as in interviews with some awesome authors over the course of this year, haven't we? We really have. And it surprised me, actually, because, you know, like it's one of those things where the the interesting thing about uh, podcast interviews as opposed to uh, writing features based on interviews mm-hmm. is that, you know, you don't have the – so you do the, the – the, you have the chat – and then it sort of goes off to audio and, and and all that sort of stuff. But you don't have that business where you go back over it and transcribe it mm. and then you, you have to like decide which quotes are the most valuable and you have to use them in the in the story. And so um, I have to confess that when you sort of said to me, you know, haven't we done some great interviews this year, I had to actually think about who we'd interviewed this year and who we'd interviewed last year <laughs> because I couldn't actually remember. But yes. Well, Amazing. what have been some of your highlights of the people that you've interviewed this year, Al? Well, it's it's an, it's been a really interesting year. As I said, I, like some of the people that um, are high on my list of great interviews, I actually had to look up because I thought I'd all talk to them last year, but I hadn't. Um, but I, the thing I found quite interesting about it was how difficult it actually is. Like if you, you said to me, Al, go and choose your – favorite three interviews of the year um I'd really struggle because why well because we've interviewed you know I've had so many great people yeah conversations this year like I just Mm. so many of them have and and you get something different out of every single one of them and Mm. you know there's always some new and interesting sort of little by road of writing to to follow to go down with different people yeah every single time so um so I do find it difficult and I know that you did say to me Al can you prepare (laughs) can you prepare Prepare. a list of your of your favorite three interviews and I tried really hard to do that but I got ended up with um six oh okay that's fine (laughs) go ahead that was was whittled down like I was oh maybe I could cross that one off and all right so I will tell you who my favorite six interviews yes (laughs) I will I will tell you the episode number in case listeners want to go back and listen so okay take it away so um I will start right back at the beginning of the year and this is the one that I thought was actually um from last year and that was my interview with Adrian McKinty which I think oh, we, yes. we did it in around about February so he's That's the, episode 97 the Australian slash Irish or the Irish slash Australian um crime author which was mm. just honestly so out of control and funny that mm. I mean he just he just talked and talked and I just let him because <laughs> it was hilarious. Yes. So, um, so that was one of my favourites. And he actually has a new book coming out in January um, from mm. his series, which is fabulous because I, I love them and I'm really looking forward to that. So I really enjoyed that one um, because just because he's hilarious. Um, so the uh, – and then another one that I did earlier this year that might be a bit surprising as one of my favourites was the interview that I did with Andrew Faulkner about his um, – historical uh, what you, uh, biography uh, called Stone oh. Cold. Oh, that That's was episode cool. 101. That was a great interview. And, again, it was a really fascinating. It was kind of one of those things where I thought, oh, I'm going to talk to a guy about military history. How interesting is this <laughs> going to be? But it was fantastic. And the conversation we had about researching and about writing about an actual person when that person's relatives are all, you know, still around. And um, it was it was a really, really interesting and useful um, 
uh, interview. So I, if you haven't listened to that one, do have a listen to it because it was mm. it was great. Um, and then I completely lost the order of all the others, so I'm just going to tell you to them. Um, sure. The conversation that I had with Sarah Keenahan, who was the science writer, uh, was another one that I absolutely really really enjoyed. Uh, Episode so we talked about- 125. We talked about the, um, you know, we talked about uh, niche areas of freelance writing and how you get into specialised freelance writing and um, science writing in general and things like that. So um, if you are a freelance writer or, you know, just interested in writing in general, a really great interview to have a listen to. Definitely. And it's surprising the number of people I mean who are interested in science writing. So it's, yeah, so definitely listen to that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then uh, another interview that I particularly enjoyed was my interview with Alan Baxter, who writes horror and sort of dark urban fantasy uh, novels. And we had episode 120. Sorry, I keep. Just expect I'm going to buddy. I think I, we talked about this just a couple of episodes ago. We were discussing writing sex scenes and I talked about the conversation that he and I had had about writing fight scenes and how they were similar. Yes. And I think that's one of the things I very much enjoyed about our interview was um, because he is someone who teaches martial arts as well as mm. being an author. He has a martial arts academy as well as being an author. And so, you know, that the that is it's worth listening to that interview just for that conversation alone, and, you know, outside of the writing, you know, all the other writing stuff and the other amazing things we had. Um, very much. Uh, a, you know, just a great conversation about uh, it's a particularly specialised area of writing, and if you get it wrong, it's so obvious. So I think it's yeah. you know, if you are writing a book that has any kind of fight scenes in it, have a listen. And he does actually have an ebook which we talk about in that. Um, we talk about in that interview called I think Write the Fight Right, uh, which is again worth having a look at if you're writing any kind of fight scenes. So that was good. Um, My conversation with Nova Wheatman, who um, writes both middle grade and YA novels, um, was terrific. Episode 117. That was was terrific because um, I think it's an area where a lot of people um, get the age group wrong. They don't – they think they're writing – YA, but they're actually writing middle grade with older protagonists or they're trying mm. to write middle grade and they're getting that voice wrong. Uh, we had a great chat about the differences between the two um, the two areas of writing. Um, and she's also a screenwriter. So we talked about screenwriting and the effects that that's had on her writing and other things um, as well. So that was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, and then I think my last one uh, that would have to be on my list of favourites was my um, – amusing conversation with Jay Kristoff, who is, of course, the oh, co-author yes. of the Illuminae series. And uh, he's had such an amazing couple of years um, with the success of those books and the, you know, going from uh, sort of you know, writing at night while he was working as an advertising uh, uh uh, copywriter during the day and stuff like that from that to kind of the international best-selling author practically mm. looked from the outside like overnight um but of course there's always more to the story so i think uh, that's also a, a great conversation to have that's a, to. a really good one yeah, yeah that was episode 127 it's oh, hard to narrow it down because really oh, they're all really my favorites hard. You know, I loved talking to so many of our authors this Mm. year because they all have a slightly different take, well, sometimes a vastly different take and sometimes Mm. a slightly different take to what you expect. And Mm. it's really surprising where some ideas come from and really surprising where some breaks come from, you know, their big break. Yes. Um, But uh, it's, it's, it's always useful to learn from other authors because you can always apply that little tweak or that little research technique or 
or that platform building tip that just will really work for you. So definitely, if um, if you haven't gone through the back catalogue, if you're new to this podcast, certainly start with um, some of the ones that uh, Al has mentioned then and have mentioned the episode numbers, but also just go through the whole back catalogue because everyone has something to offer and they're also fascinating. And also um, the thing that I find the most interesting about it is that every single every single interview that we've done um, has surprised me in some way. And I think that that's um, – yeah. there's always there's always something that comes out of it that makes you go, oh. And, you know, mm. of course, Valerie and I have spoken to a lot of writers. A we lot. teach writing. We are immersed in writing. We have writing coming out of our ears. And yet every single time we speak to an author, they will say something that will make us go, oh, yeah, mm. okay. So I think, you know, they're all worth listening to for that reason. For sure. And I think the podcasting format is is one of the reasons why a lot of people, not just us, go, oh, really? Because it gives authors the opportunity to talk a lot longer than they would, say, in an interview in print. Yeah, very much and so. It, and it's they're unfiltered as well. Yes. So um, I really enjoyed talking to Veronica Roth, which is episode oh, yeah. 133. That was and a big course, interview. Yeah, that was really fun, and she was just really down to earth. And of course, she's the um, she wrote the blockbuster series Divergent and Insurgent mm. and Allegiant, which became the blockbuster Hollywood movies. And uh, her new book Carve the Mark is out in January. Um, I also felt something really different. Thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking to James Phelps, and he has written a whole bunch of um, inside certain prisons. <laughs> you know, yeah. in in a Australia. Um, he was he, he generally writes, you know, on sport and, and and stuff like that, but he has written Australia's most murderous prison and uh, Australia's toughest prison, inmates and <laughs> Australia's hardest prison. And uh, it's just a fascinating look into the life of prisons, but also as you're reading it, you keep thinking, how did he get this? How did he who did he have to have to hang out with? Who what kind of criminals did he have to uh, consort with to get this information? And he did say during the interview that at one point, uh, you know, a bit of a hairy time, he was driving around with a baseball bat in his car. Mm, Great. (laughs) Did you give us an episode number on that one, Valerie? Oh, did I give us an episode number? Episode 121 was James Phelps and Veronica Roth was episode 133. Yes, yes. Right. Who else, Val? Other one I really enjoy because I just love talking to her is Pamela Freeman, who mm. is, of course, um, our director of creative writing at the Australian Writers Centre. And most recently, she has written, she's written over 30 books, published books, but most recently, she's written under the name Pamela Hart with mm-hmm. the books The Soldier's Wife and The War Bride, which have gone so successfully. Mm. And, um, I just enjoy, always enjoy talking to Pamela because she is, she's always thinking about, not only about writing, but in how to help people improve their writing. Mm. And that's why every time I talk to her, I will learn something new. And Mm. she brings that um, uh, intention, you know, to always help people to improve their writing, whether that's through sharing an experience of hers or sharing an actual technique and, and in a way that she's 
broken it down and, and, you know, so that people can actually follow it. Um, and she brings that to, to her courses and, and in just her general conversation. So I love, um, I love talking to her just because, yeah, like I said, I always learn something new. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, they, they would be three that stand out for me. But honestly, it's very hard to – to choose because I really liked so many this year. I know it's been it it's been a great year, audience. and of course, speaking to you every week, Val, is a highlight for me. And I'm sure that <laughs> others out there would also no. I'm quite serious. I'm sure others out there would also agree that um, we learn something new every week from you as well, Val. So there you go. I feel like the I'm feeling, interviewing you every week. The feeling is mutual. This is becoming a little bit of a you know. It's because we've had too many champagnes, and now yeah, we're getting sloppy at the end of the office party. We better well, go before I, we start photocopying our butts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to say, I just walked into the loo in the office and somebody has built a Christmas tree out of toilet paper oh, rolls. Oh, there you go. It's yeah, a really like tall one. Like it's, it's like seven foot. Not while yes. you're talking to us. We have a lot of toilet paper. Yeah, like you're yeah. not in there now while you're no, talking no, to No, 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 no. Just before oh. I started recording, <laughs> I, walked in, I walked in there and I went, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. Has it got tinsel on it as well? Uh, I'll take a photo and I'll It is that time of year, isn't it? Top. People it start to go a little bit year. crazy. <laughs> but, look, thank you for being such an awesome podcast co-host, Al. It's been such a pleasure because I oh. just look forward to our weekly chats. It's Absolutely love it. And one of these you. days we're going to have to record the pre-recording conversation. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You've or maybe not. Went on air. Thank you, m- most importantly, to our listeners. You've really yes. um, oh, been so inspiring to us. You've been really encouraging and motivating. Thank you for leaving us your reviews and ratings and sending in your questions and also just giving us feedback on social media because this is why we do the podcast. It's for you. And um, it's it's we've been doing it for, you know, a couple of years now and each year – it does grow and it really it's it is really encouraging to hear when people say stuff like they've started writing um or, or because of the podcast or they've come back to writing after 15 years because of the podcast and yeah. you know we're glad to play a small part in your journey and you know we really want to want to thank you for it don't we Al? we do we would love to thank you for it and i would also like to just take this opportunity to thank all of the people who have gone to Goodreads and left reviews for me uh, yes. on the Mapmaker Chronicles after I had my call out. It was a few, it was a while ago, it was a few weeks ago. Um, yes. And I just want to say thank you so much because your support means a lot to me. And I'm, you know, I'm very, very appreciative. Don't think I don't notice because I do. So thank you very, very much. Mm. Now, we wish you the very best in 2017 uh, with all of your endeavours especially your writing ones we will be back in 2017 and we hope to catch up with you again then in the meantime do ping us on social media and connect with us there where do we find you online Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer, which is where I'm pretty much going to be over the next couple of weeks. I think a bit of social media is going to be me. I don't think I'll be blogging or anything much, but I'll be there if you want to say hi. 
And awesome. you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to connect with me on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo uh, that is in Sydney. And, of course, if you want to start your 2017 off right, make sure you check out some of the courses at the Australian Writers' Centre to help guide you in the right direction. And you can find that at writerscentre.com.au. But until we chat to you again next year have a wonderful break and we and a wonderful start to 2017 bye thanks for listening to so you want to be a writer you'll find the show notes at writerscenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources giveaways competitions and much more